Welcome to episode 109 of the Gamebots Podcast. I'm your host, Eric, and this is my co-host. It's Christian. On this week's episode, Christian and I have a one large topic uh, <laughs> to discuss, and it is Zack Snyder's Justice League. Now, for those of you who don't know, um, Zack Snyder is the original director of Man of Steel and Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice, and he directed most of the original theatrical Justice League release, but due to a personal tragedy, he did not... Did he end up editing it? Is that what that was, Christian? Yeah, he stepped away from the project. It was like 90% filmed, and and then all that was left was, yeah, basically some rewrites and some edits. And so they brought Joss Whedon in, who was also acting as a writer on this project, to basically finalize the cut. So then after some fan backlash, or I guess fan propositioning, I don't know what you'd call it, fan cheering, (laughs) uh, Zack Snyder, four years after the Justice League was released, was permitted to finalize his project, given a budget of $70 million to do so, and they released the Snyder Cut on HBO Max. Right. I well, first of all, I couldn't believe it had been like almost four years. Oh, Christian, I was like looking back at the DC. I think it's the DC EU is their movie universe. You have Man of Steel in twenty thirteen. Then you have three whole years until they do anything else with Batman vs Superman. Uh, maybe you get Suicide Squad slightly before that. I can't remember, but I think you then get Suicide Squad, Wonder Woman. And then Justice League within a year, which is crazy. Like it's it's this weird like bottlenecking, and then you get Aquaman, Shazam, and then nothing. I remembered that they were all kind of rapid fire there for a little bit. Shazam, I forget, is part of this. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen Shazam. That's on like my list. Oh, we, sorry, Wonder Woman eighty four came out this year, but yeah, like it's it's weird, right? It's weirdly bottlenecked so much stuff like into a two to three year period. Shazam, I will say, in, including this four-hour beast that we just watched, Shazam's the best DCEU movie. That's good to know. I I, I do Great. need to check that out. I, I I watched Aquaman on a plane, so I'd like to see it on a slightly larger <laughs> screen. Uh, yeah, but it I, like this was astounding. Just the story behind this. Whedon ended up using something like only ten percent of what Snyder had filmed. He did a, a whole bunch of reshoots. Uh, and you could kind of tell, I, I have a note in here, my first note is essentially the CG in this looks so much cleaner than it did in the theatrical release. Like there are scenes, specifically the one that always stuck out in my mind was uh, when Aquaman walks back into the harbor in Alaska or wherever he's supposed to be. And the, the backdrop is so egregiously, obviously green screen. And it like fully took me out. I was like, oh man, that is bad <laughs> and that has been all cleaned up in this so i mean the, the reshoots were they, they must have been rough but when snyder came back on and was like yeah i'm gonna make the the what i had envisioned only like five minutes of this movie were shot after that everything else was already made yeah that's crazy i mean it- to anyone who doesn't actually want to sit through this entire movie and just wants to see how even just like tonally this mo- different like tonally different this movie is watch the first 20 minutes of the theatrical release then watch the first 20 minutes of the Snyder cut and they are setting up completely different movies almost absolutely wildly different movies i mean the first scene of the theatrical cut is 
uh, Superman basically being filmed on like Snapchat or something with kids. And it's like this interaction about Superman and it, and the theatrical cut honestly feels like an apology to by Joss Whedon to Superman for the other two <laughs> Snyder movies. And the start of this one is Superman getting uh, Superman's death to, to doomsday at, at the end of Batman vs Superman and him screaming and his death causing shockwaves like around the world and awaking in the mother box is like, that's completely different. The next scene in the in the theatrical release, you have Batman catching one of Darkseid's parademons, and the music in it makes it feel like I was watching like either the Michael Keaton Batman movies or Batman the <laughs> Animated Series. It's it it was jarring. Like I didn't notice it at the time when I watched it, but I watched the, like Bat- Man of Steel, Batman vs Superman, the theatrical cut, and then the um, Snyder cut back to back. So it was really jarring, like even just using the music, like what Josh Whedon was going for, the filters he was going for, like it was a much brighter movie. Like this feels like a different movie. Right. It's it, it was like a punch up. It was, you know, like this is too dark and dreary and depressing. We need it to be uh, more lighthearted. We need, you know, we need Aquaman to be funny. We need Batman to be funny. Yeah, I mean, entirely it was a response to like Batman versus Superman was savaged by the critics like i i don't know if people tend to forget that but i know like it had its fans but for the most part like it was just dunked on constantly i i went back to look up its rotten tomato scores christian and maybe i'm wrong and they have been updated to some extent but uh critics had this at a 29 percent, and audience had it at a 63 i remember when this released i thought the ad audience score was way lower it was. I mean, it definitely, like, I remember talking about it at work and it was kind of a joke. It was like, holy crap, this is like single digits bad. That's what I remember. Like, the, granted, there are over 100,000 reviews for it now. So it's like, I don't know if this was after the fact. But when it came in, like, I remember something being like a 16%. Yeah. So I think perception of that one has drastically changed. But I, I I see why, like, the studio had Whedon doing this. Like, they brought Josh Whedon in basically to add jokes to this movie because Batman vs. Superman was not received well at the time it was released. Right. Yeah, and that's they, they seem to have learned at least a little bit because this, even Snyder's version of this, is not Batman vs. Superman level bad. It's not, like, mm. oppressively bad. <laughs> the end of that movie is punishing to me i i would never want to sit through it again and the end of this was not that at all like i i thoroughly enjoyed the the conclusion of this movie yeah i so i will say i was one of the few people who like went into batman versus superman and coming out being like oh it was fine i think i went in with really low expectations so that helped (laughs) it but i i remember i hated man of steel and on the rewatch i I still think Man of Steel is not a good movie, but I don't just absolutely hate it anymore. <laughs> but the the Snyder cut of Justice League, like I thought he got better every movie. I think this is like his strongest form. Like he made a good movie. It's just unfortunately it's like four hours long. Right. Well, I I did listen to the How Did This Get Made episode about this, and one of them made the point that Zack Snyder because they they also said that they thought the ultimate version of Batman versus Superman was better. 
And they, so, so yeah, to be fair, that's also what I watched because I couldn't find the theatrical version. So maybe <laughs> that's why my opinion on it has changed. You know, it's still strong. But they made the point that maybe Zack Snyder should only be allowed to make like three and a half, four hour movies because that seems to be what he's good at. Because when they get trimmed down, they get like illogical or like poorly paced. That's, I mean, that's true. But could you imagine? And a lot of people are like, see, this is Zack Snyder's vision. If Zack Snyder was the one who edited this in 2017, he was not going to release a four-hour theatrical oh, no. movie. Huge, like, huge chunks of this would have been lost, for sure. There's definitely parts they can cut, but yeah, like an hour and a half would have been cut. Yeah, well, that's Warner Brothers apparently said their hard limit was two hours. They wanted it 120 minutes, no longer, no shorter. And so he is... would have had to cut 50% of this movie. Christian, that's insane to me because Batman, Man of Steel was two hours and 22 minutes. Batman vs. Superman was like two and a half hours and the Ultimate Edition was three hours. Justice League is like the theatrical release was two hours. You have your giant superhero team up. Why are you like you didn't do any setup with the, like the Marvel movies did. Why are you making that a two hour hard limit when your two like introduction movies are longer? Yeah, and he's and not only is like like you'd said, not only is this two introduction movies longer, but you're now introducing three characters who haven't had introduction movies yet. No, their introductions were in Batman vs Superman, like as basically trailers. Yeah, <laughs> like we we are also now living with this in. I, I guess even more. You'd introduce we introduced four characters because Wonder Woman hadn't come out yet. Like we. We are essentially living in a world where this movie kind of benefits retroactively from the fact that Wonder Woman has now had two movies and Aquaman has had a movie. And so sure. we don't we don't need to be introduced to them in this version even if this is how it was originally. We don't need to be introduced to them in this version. We already know their characters well. Right. And you also have the original Justice League for them right. too. Like you this is definitely a recut. And I, I don't so what I what my guess as to what happened of why this just got so crazy is Batman of Steel came out in 2013, which was a year after the Avengers, but they started writing it and production on it began in 2011. Avengers had not proven that the team up worked. Like the first phase of Avengers movies were sort of all over the place like people liked iron man they didn't really like iron man 2 hulk was not well received thor was okay <laughs> captain america was okay so like i get it from like warner brother and dc's perspective they're like we don't they don't know how this team up's going to work and then avengers hit and it's a game changer right and everyone's like why is dc just not doing it so i get <laughs> why why man of steel wasn't then you have three years between man of steel and batman vs superman in 2016, you had Ultron, like you had finished Marvel Phase Two at that point, right? And, and that's so, the, yeah. Sorry. The other thing, just on length, is like I get that this is a pre-Infinity War Endgame world, but like for Warner Brothers to say we need a two-hour limit, and then for Marvel to turn around and say, you know, we're releasing essentially like a year apart, but we're releasing like a six-hour Avenger movie. Yeah, <laughs> I mean they did that. That's true. <laughs> but so so like I get where DC's 
a little bit comfortable. Like, they're playing catch-up with Batman vs. Superman. Like, I don't know if Man of Steel was originally supposed to be Iron Man, you know, the first Iron Man, because mm-hmm. if you look at those two movies, Iron Man basically sets the tone for what a Marvel movie is for the following 12 years. Um, it's There's, like, action parts. It's a little more lighthearted. There's some moments of heart and all that. And it's like Man of Steel weirdly also sets the tone, but it's just like a somber, super serious tone that isn't as much fun. And exactly. I think I think they tried to actually change that with Josh Whedon and the the theatrical cut, which helped it to some extent. But I, I do want to point out like the Marvel in, in DC comics, there actually is a precedence for them just having a superhero team up and then we stretch everyone gets their own series. That's what they actually did in 2011 when they basically reset the DC universe with the new 52 series and the Mm -hmm. introduction, like the introductory comic to that was a justice league team up where they're stopping a dark side invasion on earth, which, you know, (laughs) sounds very familiar to this justice league. And in that the team includes cyborg with this rendition. So like this movie draws from that. It's just weird because you have like these, two half like these two movies kind of before and then this like had this have just been the first movie and people assume you know who batman and superman is and stuff and then maybe you introduce some of the lesser known characters like cyborg i think it could have worked but you have like a all those like half movie like the movies beforehand which were like half steps into half-heartedly making like the dceu so it just Mm -hmm. felt weird when you get to the actual two-hour theatrical cut where you have so much going on so from what I had read, the Snyder's initial plan was uh, Batman vs. or um, Man of Steel, then Batman vs. Superman, and then a Justice League trilogy. Like okay. that was that was his vision, and that was all he was gonna sign on to do. And it was gonna be basically this for the first one, then the second one would be the Dark Side Invasion, and then the third one would be the Nightmare with Evil Superman. And so it was kind of this was the way it was meant to be where it was, you know, you get introduced to Batman, Superman and wonder woman in those first two movies. And then the, the justice league movies are just going to be, you know, we've got all these other people here are like their quick backstories. And then if, if they get movies in the future, then so be it. But that wasn't part of his initial idea. See, that's like, and that makes sense to me. That's a very different set of movies than I think what Marvel is doing and what people have come to expect, where Marvel is like, everyone gets a movie, then we have a team up. Everyone gets a movie, we have a team up. This is more like, here's this, and we have a straight line, and we have kind of branching paths. That feels more like what superhero movies in the 2000s were doing, like kind of like X-Men and before their yeah. timeline got all janked up. Yeah, Snyder basically said, I don't need 10 years to set up all of these individual characters, we're going to throw them in and people are going to be along for the ride or they're not, you know, like that's, that's, that's the plan. I mean, and and that's where I think it hurts him a little bit because there was a clear disconnect of what I think he wanted to do and what the studio wanted after like the MCU success and what audiences were expecting them (laughs) where, because like this is coming out so long after the fact that I think people are just, you know, they're like, whatever, at least we're getting it now. But like the DCEU itself is just, a mess right now like it doesn't make any sense so i i have a thought about that and i i doubt that they'll actually do this but it's such a mess that i truly don't know if they would have a choice 
Uh, but they could fully just embrace like multiverse theory and just have people make whatever movies they want to make and just they they can all be canon. They don't have to relate to each other. Oh, they totally could do that. Or they could basically use the Flash like they he I mean, they use the Flash to time travel here and go yeah. with the Flashpoint paradox storyline, which is huge in the comics and <laughs> reset the universe if they want, because I, I mean, th- they need to fi- they need they need basically a figurehead to say this is what we want to do and we need to commit to it. Yeah, they need they need a Kevin Feige. Yeah. But like barring that, they could easily, at least in my mind, they could easily let Zack Snyder make his two last movies and just say, you know, this is Zack Snyder's Justice League. Mm-hmm. And they could also have, you know, their like you know, their Whedon vision for what the studio wanted and be like, this is Warner Brothers Justice League. And, you know, they are both DCEU and they just, it's, you know, it's Earth 36 and Earth 37, whatever. Yeah, they could. I I, I don't think they will, but <laughs> at this point, that seems like one of their better options. I mean, yeah, like they, they could make all of their individual movies and just say, you know, these are all the same characters and actors and whatever, but. Snyder's doing his own thing and they're both fine. Yeah. And what's weird is like DC. So DC has a bunch of like, they have an entire animated universe, which I don't know if you realize, I think they have 18 animated movies between 2011 and 2020. Holy crap. And it's all interconnected and it's all really well done. And most of them were like straight to like, you know, they were releasing them. You could buy them as DVDs, but they're on HBO max now. And they're all solid. So like they do like they have a timeline where that works. And they actually started with a flashpoint where Flash went and changed the world. And they ended with it because they were like, well, we don't know what we're doing now. So we're just resetting it and we'll figure it out. <laughs> but they also have like 18 very successful animated movies in between them. That's wild. So I'm sorry, I got us off track here. Let's actually talk about the Snyder Cut itself. <laughs> Um, so the the first thing that I want to say that I loved about this is that it was separated into chapters. It was, I mean, it's an interesting choice because you don't see movies do that too often, but it was nice. Yeah, it gives the audience very clear breaks that they can take, which they will need to take. Yeah, it is hard to watch a four hour movie, man. Like I I say that also as someone whose favorite movie is like four hours and fifteen minutes. And, but even like I can't watch Return of the I I mean I'm sure I could when I was younger but I, I can't watch Return of the King now in one sitting it it kills me like I have to watch it over days and so I I watched this in three sittings yeah I watched the first hour and then I watched I think the middle two hours and then I came back for the the big climax at the end uh, I I watched it in two sittings I did one hour and three hours but what like weird like I take notes while I'm watching it for the podcast which makes it longer because I'll pause and stuff because I don't want to miss things. And that's what makes it hard for me is like, because if I could just veg out, I could, I don't, I'd probably do it in two, two hour sittings. That would be my guess. Um, I'm curious what you thought about, cause you, you, you watched the, you rewatched the theatrical justice league, right? Right. I'm curious what you thought about Snyder's takes on like, I guess heroes in killing because in the Snyder cut, Wonder Woman basically just murders a man who I'm oh, not yeah. saying didn't deserve to be killed, but the context was this dude is out of bullets. She could have easily detained him. She does her bracelet like bang thing, 
like completely incinerates him, blows up the front of the building unnecessarily, and then goes like to the hostage. He's like, all right, kids, way to go. We did it. Where it's just like, <laughs> even if you're going to kill that man, you did not need to cause this much collateral damage. <laughs> that is honestly one of the things that took me out of Batman versus Superman the first time I watched it. Well, I mean, yes, the only time I watched it <laughs> way, way back when. But like, you're introduced to this kind of old man Batman who's just killing people left and right. And it was staggering. Like It's jarring. It really, it's shocking to see. He's just running people over in the Batmobile. Well, that's the thing is like, I don't. I So I, I had a real hard time when I was watching these going, okay, what is objectively a bad choice versus what are choices that I don't think should be made because I have a preconceived notion of what these heroes are? But also, first, you are using existing heroes. How much can you actually be criticized for not actually having them fit the archetype that people like? You know, like it's a it's a big like weighing of values where I get where he was going with Batman versus Superman Batman. Like that is a Batman who is clearly like emotionally drained from losing Robin and was just at the end of his line. And I since I had saw Batman versus Superman, I read the Frank Miller comics that they were sort of loosely based off of. So I saw the Batman Snyder was going for it. I, I, I didn't mind him as much, but the Wonder Woman, I don't know much about. I don't think she has like a no kill rule, but it is jarring to see when you're used to hear superheroes, not just like blatantly murdering people <laughs> to see them just doing that. Yeah. I, I don't remember enough man of steel. I, I don't think Superman ever just like outright kills somebody, but I mean, oh, no, no, have... he does. He, he next snaps Zod. Oh God. Well, they they do have that kind of whole, like, you know, we're going to superhero nine eleven, uh, Metropolis, and it's pretty wild. But yeah, I I don't know. I don't mind it so much if I know if I know what's coming. So like in this one, I expected it, but in right. Batman Superman, I really hadn't. Yeah, it's just weird. Weird. The, like, those are some weird choices. And you're right. I am expecting now, so I don't mind as much. It's like okay. These are not DC superheroes following the comics code. And that's why, you know, I primarily superheroes used to not murder anyone is because the comics code wouldn't allow them because they're, they were books or, you know, comics aimed towards children. (laughs) Um, One thing I am curious about because I could not find anything about it, but I swear, and I don't know if it was reshoots or not, Ben Affleck looked so much skinnier in the Snyder cut than he did in Josh Whedon's ver- the theatrical cut. Did you notice that? I didn't, but I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it was because of reshoots. I don't know if it was like, you know, Affleck was like, oh, my time is done. I can go back to like normal diet. And then Whedon called him like two months later. I was like, you got to come back and shoot some stuff. It's that or, or like because I, I was so used to how he looked in Batman versus Superman, like then I saw the theatrical cut and he was way more. And then I, I got used to it and I didn't notice it as much in Snyder, the Snyder cut. But I know for Batman versus Superman, Affleck got down to 8% body fat. So like he was pretty ripped for that role. Um, I don't think he did the same thing here, but it's just something that like threw me off once he shaved. And I was like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> You know, I never hated him as Batman. He got a lot of he got a lot of hate, and for as much as I didn't like the movie that they introduced him in, I, I thought he did a good job. 
No, I, 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 I liked Batfleck. I like because he is playing an older Batman who's basically just a thick. He's playing like an old, thick bat, like Batman who is angry at the world. And I thought he did a great job at that. Yeah, I, I thought this was his best performance so far of, of all of the versions that we've seen. Yeah, and so what I liked about the Snyder cut and his glaring in the in the Whedon cut was, or I guess the theatrical cut was in the theatrical cut, Batman the entire time seemed like he was apologetic and felt really bad for what happened to Superman. And, and he kind of acted like he killed Superman, even though he didn't. He tried to kill him, but he's not the one who actually killed him, you know? And, like, because there were jokes in that one about him being like, if we need to lose me to save Clark or whatever, he's the better person and, and blah, blah, blah. But Batman as a character is like someone who's willing to make the hard choices. And he's like very assertive in himself. And he's also like a super genius. Like he's not dumb. And in this one, like Affleck got a role that was way closer to the comics. Batman, like he felt bad that Clark died, but he wasn't entirely blaming himself for it. Like he wasn't making decisions based on that. And yeah, it was, it was just kind of the impetus for putting the team together. He, he said, you know, I, I made this promise to him that I would protect the world. What now that he's gone. And so that's, that's what I'm doing. And he didn't seem as clueless in this one. And in the first, like the biggest one, like thing I noticed on that was when he went to Aquaman in the theatrical release, he didn't realize Jason Momoa was Aquaman until he saw like a painting. Whereas in this one, like he clearly knew who Aquaman was from the start and he was just, you know, playing a bit, uh, Mm -hmm. which seems more like Batman. Like Batman doesn't go into situations. He doesn't really know what's going on. You know, he always has a plan. (laughs) Yeah, I think a lot of people seem less clueless in this. I think a, a problem with the the theatrical version was since it had to get cut so da- so far down, they didn't really have time to explore character motivations, and so things just kind of happened. Oh, and yeah. the, the characters just kind of wandered from set piece to set piece without really having any kind of a sense of where or why they were doing anything. Yeah, <laughs> one th- one thing I cannot. <laughs> One thing I do not blame Whedon from cutting, though, was after Aquaman leaves, there's like a two-minute Icelandic song about him. Very strange choice. Like, I get it, and I noticed this so much when I was re-watching the original, original two movies, is Snyder has this big... His, his like, overarching theme is these guys are gods, and some people are going to revere him, so, like, they revere Aquaman as a god, I get it, but I like Justice League because they don't leave heavily into that imagery like they did in Batman vs. Superman and Man of Steel. So, like, that part was jarring when that occurred. Yeah, that... It it just goes on too long. I would be fine if they, they played, like, this woman singing, like, a bar or something and, mm. like, a, a bar or two as, like... Bruce is getting ready to go wherever he's going and it kind of pans out and fades off, but they stay on that for, yeah, like two full minutes. I was like, this is too much. Uh, Yeah. I will say though, I do like that Snyder takes the time to address some things that normally you don't address in a movie. And a a big one is in the, when, um, or not a big one, but an example is in this, in the theatrical release, when Steppenwolf attacks the Amazonians for the mother box, at the end, you just randomly see an army of Amazons coming, and you're like, where do these guys come from? 
And in the Snyder Cut, there's just like a quick two-second shot of the boom tube going up and all the Amazonians being like, oh, we're under attack. Like, let's go over there. Like, I enjoyed that part. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it's. I mean, it's just back to that. Like, it, it has time to breathe and, like, explore choices and motivations instead of just, oh, this is a thing that's happening now. <laughs> yeah, you get to go with the bad. Sometimes it makes sense. Sometimes you get uh, a him. <laughs> <laughs> I am curious because like the characters I'll actually see other than maybe Wonder Woman seem to and Superman to a certain extent, but seem to be very, um, very different. And I want to save Cyborg for last because I think he is by far the, the most changed. Uh, but what did you think of Jason Momoa's Aquaman in the Snyder cut? He was fine. I mean, I, I think I probably liked him more in the Whedon cut because he's funnier. Like he's just, he's a little goofy. I I mean, he's just as a character kind of goofy, you know, you know, the the guy with the, the ocean powers, but in, in this one, it put kind of all of the pressure of comedy, such like little though there may be onto the flash, at least in the uh, theatrical version, the flash and Aquaman could kind of share that load a little bit. But in this, uh, Ezra Miller is really the only one allowed to be funny at all. <laughs> and so yeah. it, it felt like, especially after seeing the Aquaman movie, and even in that, he's not really that serious. He's kind of, he's not like a fully like goofball, but he's like, he can joke around with everybody and he doesn't take anything too, too seriously until he has to. And then, yeah, in this, you see him and he's just very self-serious and he, he doesn't really have any of that. Uh, I don't know. Like, three-dimensionality yeah i'm I'm with you i would say if one character was hurt by the snyder cut it would probably be aquaman for me i i liked him as being more uh more of like a sarcastic jerk humor in um or like rock star humor or whatever however you want to say it in the theatrical cut but i did like that they gave him some more emotional elements where that wasn't all he was and there was one scene i thought was pretty funny with him in the flash where he like the flash was like what hat should i use <laughs> and it was like him being like oh let's try the first one again like i thought that part was pretty funny but overall like he he definitely i think loses some of his his moments and I will say you touched on the flash. Like the flash is the funny one in this one. What bugged me about the theatrical cut was like Batman was weirdly also making a lot of funny quips, which were out of character. So I'm glad they took some of those away. So the ones he does make, I think hit better. Like the, the part where he's like, what's your superpower? And it's just like, I'm rich. I thought it was funnier this time, like in this one, because he's not making jokes every couple scenes. Right. It seemed like Whedon tried to make Bruce Wayne into Tony Stark. A little bit, yeah. A little bit, yeah. But I think it was also Aquaman and Flash who were joking, kind of. I mean, half joking about the like pet cemetery situation in the the theatrical version, where they're like, "What if we bring back Superman and he comes back wrong?" And and then when he comes back and he's all like hulked out and angry, and Ezra Miller's like, "Oh, pet cemetery." Yeah, I man, the a character I think actually who benefited the most from the Snyder cut though is the flash. I did not like Ezra Miller as the flash in the theatrical cut. I thought he was annoying and I did not enjoy him, but I liked him in this one. Well, he, yeah, I agree. I, I, I think cyborg probably 
uh, more so, but uh, oh yeah, sorry. You're, I mean, he got a whole arc. You're right. Sorry. <laughs> Flash, absolutely. Like he is in this version, like aware of himself and his powers in a way that he wasn't in in the theatrical release. In the theatrical release, they were kind of like dragging him, kicking and screaming into these situations. Like he joined the team, no problem. But then he's like, I don't know how to save people. I don't like, I don't know what the limits of my powers are. And in this one, and and that yeah, Batman has to like give him a pep talk a couple of times. Whereas in this one, he's like, yeah, I mean, I can I can reverse the flow of time if I move fast enough, but it's a rule I don't like to break. And I'm like, all right, cool. Like This is a character who has sat with his powers for a while, and he knows what's going on, and he doesn't have to be like hamstrung into doing his job. Right, like, look, think about the theatrical cut. What did The Flash actually do in that movie? He's, almost nothing. No, almost nothing. He saved a couple people in the original scene. And then in the final battle, he saved three people. And that was the extent of what he did. Yeah. He, he did the same thing he did in this one with the, he like charges up and static shocks, the mother box, but that's yeah, that, that was kind of the extent of his contribution. And in this one, he is literally the primary hero. Yeah. Like he goes back in time. Like it's great. Uh, also like too, I don't know if it's, they did reshoots or it was just how like, Snyder edited it, but in the theatrical cut, when Bruce Wayne or he goes when he meets Bruce Wayne in his like warehouse, I don't know what you call where Barry Allen was living or Ezra Miller, the Flash was living uh, like by the train tracks. I thought that scene was like cringe and cringeworthily like bad. Like I was like, oh, I hate this scene. <laughs> like Ezra Miller is clearly lying. Like it's like smirking. Like I just didn't enjoy it. He had like Korean pop in the background. It seemed like Whedon was like, we're going to make this like this quirky, weird character. Whereas in the Snyder cut, like I don't know, like it hit better. You didn't have K pop in the background. Like he had the exact same lines, but the delivery was different enough where I was like, okay, like I actually don't, I don't mind the scene. Like those lines are delivered. Well, yeah, it's like they use just a slightly different take. I did like that scene in the original. I I just the Flash was always my favorite, even when I watched the cartoon as a kid, um, and so I I did enjoy that. But the the scene I think, b- besides the time travel scene, the scene that gave him the did him the most justice was his introduction, like right when he he shatters sure. the glass and he saves uh, Iris from the car accident. That was great. Well, then that, that's the thing, Christian. The Flash is one of my favorite characters, too. And that's why I didn't like him in the theatrical cut was it he didn't feel like Barry Allen. Like, Barry Allen's not awkward. Like, he's, like, quick, witty. Like, he's, like, a fully fleshed out character. Like, he's not a weirdo. Mm-hmm. And in this scene, like, in the very first scene, you get a whole new take with uh, Ezra Miller as the Flash because, like, he's late, which is kind of a comic joke of him. Like, the fastest man alive always being late. But then, like, you see him save the woman and he comes back in with the dogs. And, like, he immediately, like, goes into, like, a spiel about how he's calm under pressure and stuff. Like, it's it's good. It's, like, well done. It's something I would expect from The Flash, which I was happy about. That closing scene, well, I guess not closing, but that, that final scene in the battle where he actually does do the time travel is my favorite scene in this movie. I couldn't believe they went. Dude, I, like... This movie to me got better as it went on, like yeah, which is weird because the the battle scene in the theatrical cut, I timed it, Christian, from like the point where they get on the helicarrier from Bruce Wayne's mansion to where Steppenwolf goes back into the boom tube is 16 minutes. Oh, my God. It's crazy short. And so in the Snyder cut, 
it starts at like three hours and three minutes and then it ends at like you know 340 something it's like an actual 40 40 minute long scene it was it was crazy but like when basically steppenwolf won and i was like oh my god is this the direction they're going the justice league is actually losing and then barry's like i'm going back in time and they have them actually enter the speed force and do a flashpoint i was like oh my god i can't believe they're doing this this is amazing yeah that was so cool like the the ground reforming underneath him as he runs towards the explosion like that was just outstanding it was so well shot i just i this movie's gotten a lot of crap uh about it being like 50 percent slow-mo and i agree with that to a point uh, <laughs> I, I thought that scene was absolutely perfect and i think if they'd have done less slow-mo throughout it may have hit like even stronger you mean when the amazonians like knocked their fortress into the ocean and it was like <laughs> they slow-mo that for some reason yeah, I yeah. Think they could have cut that down nine minute sequence to be fair though this is Zack snyder's swan song like he's not getting in another one so he's just like what i'm doing whatever i want on this <laughs> they're giving me 70 million dollars but in every movie's gone into this one yeah uh, so let's let's move on to Cyborg because you are right. He is the one who was done dirty by Joss Whedon. <laughs> right. Like, hard. And, and all these stories coming out about Whedon and Fisher, I'm not necessarily surprised by that information. Yeah. So I, I want to get out my, I guess what I, what I think is bad about Cyborg just off the, off the bats. Cause I think most of his story is good, but the one thing that the theatrical cut and the Snyder cut have that I hate is Cyborg is just too much CGI. <laughs> I don't mind that. Uh, so, and I, you know, when I saw it in theaters, I didn't mind it as much, but I, I think I've talked to you about it before, and I don't know if it's on the podcast or not, but DC has a show called Doom Patrol that also has a version of Cyborg on it played by uh joven wade and i think that version is just superior because they use practical effects for cyborg and i liked it better yeah i i definitely understand that i'm i've always been a big fan of practical effects but yeah i'm I'm looking at his picture now and i definitely see what you're talking about like parts of it are cheesy and there's definitely ways if you have a big budget you could do it right but i feel like ray fisher got screwed a little bit on that because you literally see a quarter, not a quarter, but you know, like half to three quarters of his face, the whole movie. And that's it. And he did a good job. Like I, I, especially this new cut, like I love the storyline they went with of making him integral because on, I don't know the history of cyborg before the new 52 stuff in the comics, but I know starting a new 52, like this movie, all of his technology is based off of a mother box. Um, so I'm glad they went with that portrayal because that makes sense for why he is actually involved in the Justice League with Darkseid and stuff. Yes, I. He was another one like Flash where I was like, what are you doing in this movie, essentially? I mean, he's a he's a non-traditional member of the Justice League. So it, like it was if you had not been up to date on the new 52 stuff, like in 2016, you're like, wow, Cyborg's a cyborg's a justice league member like the last thing i remember him from is teen titans yeah the best cyborg yeah but he i mean he's like good at, like i'm glad they incorporated the entire storyline with his dad like that actually gave him an emotional depth that just wasn't there in the in the theatrical cut 
Yes. And so it, it completely changes his entire story. Basically like he, you you get kind of in the in the theatrical version you get the like oh i hate my dad because he turned me into a monster but you don't get any of the information about like we're only in this situation because you missed my football game like you always do and that's why like my mom's died and uh like i resent you for so many things even before this happened and and so you get a lot more of his kind of teen angst kind of stuff that has now spilled through trauma into like actual like emotionality and i i could have done without the weird like cg digital landscape that they tried to do where it's like oh yeah yeah i mean it's it's a mistake a lot of movies make where they're like how can we visualize the internet (laughs) (laughs) let's go let's go with uh the tv show reboot from the 90s So like there's there's overtly very silly things, you know, his dad's talking about the stock market and he's standing in this weird like Tron landscape where a digital bear is fighting a digital bull in front of a treasury building. And I was like, okay, (laughs) like this is maybe a bridge too far, but his his story as a whole is just so much better in this. Yeah, and he doesn't. Like he's one of the smartest Justice League members, like he has access to all these electronics and. And this one, like, you see that he understands the parademons are coming after him, so he's flying around with a mother box so they can't track it as easily, which I thought, like, that's just a small touch that's good. Yeah. And the, the other one was... Uh, it's it's not so much about him, but about his, his dad's character. He's kind of never seen again in the theatrical version like we see him twice and that's it and in this one he has like a full impact where he like he sacrifices himself and dies in front of cyborg in an attempt to try and help the team out like i i liked his character so much in this the 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 dad's character i was glad to see him go cyborg's growth in the snyder cut seems justified in the theatrical cut we the last time we see him is after they save the dad from steppenwolf under like the under the water in the prison or whatever that place was and then you don't see him again until like the post-battle scenes where he's hanging out with his dad so i guess the dad lives in the theatrical cut um and it's just like okay they buried that hatchet quickly uh but on this one it's like okay like yeah there is actual like growth here of him and his dad working i don't know if they work out their issues but they at least like respect each other enough that they sacri- they try and sacrifice their own things for each other like cyborg silas stone does it for cyborg when he tracks the device for the good of the world and cyborg does it when he's inside the mother box and they're literally like we can give you everything you've ever wanted in your family back. And he has to make the hero's choice of not to do that for the greater good. Yes. Which I actually like that in the Snyder cut is everyone except Batman basically had to do like, they had a hero moment, like the flash to the time travel. Um, Cyborg had to turn down being with his family. Wonder woman and Aquaman were like actually going toe to toe as Steppenwolf. Whereas like the theatrical cut they were just getting beaten down pretty hard in soup. Like once Superman came, like there felt like there were no stakes and he was basically cheerleading them. Yes, I do. Actually, let's get into that now. What did, 
let's get into the theatrical verse Snyder cut scene of Superman coming back to the team because it was handled so completely differently that I, I couldn't believe it. Like in my opinion, in the theatrical cut, Superman basically just showed the impotence of the rest of the justice league. <laughs> just wiped the floor with them. Well, well, no, no, like not even like where he beat them down. I'm talking when they're fighting Steppenwolf at like the final battle where he comes in, basically beats down Steppenwolf and is like, uh, I can come finish him if you guys don't have it. He goes and saves people like more people than buried <laughs> Alan er, the flash does. And he helps cyborg rip the mother boxes apart. Like he does everything in there where it's just like, wow, we don't need the Justice League in the theatrical cut. Exactly. And that's that's something I liked about this one is, yeah, when Superman shows up, he's like an equal member of the team. He right. They 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 only kill Steppenwolf with like a triple attack between Superman, Wonder Woman and, and Aquaman. They're all kind of teaming up with him while the the Flash does his, you know, like cyclotron run. And Batman is doing kind of the ground level work, which is where he belongs in in a story like this. Essentially, right. like Batman should be nowhere near Steppenwolf. <laughs> yeah, his his job is to drive around and kill parademons. But yeah, you're you're right. Like they brought Superman back, and that was the whole thesis of the first one, or the, the theatrical version is like we cannot do this without him. And instead of being the, the, taking that to be like we are weaker without him they took that to me and we are useless without him. It it entirely was. And that's why I think the theatrical release feels like an apology to Superman. <laughs> like he comes in and there's like, Oh yeah, look how great he can be. And in this one, you're right. Like he gets, he gets to don the black suit. Like he has his own moment where if you watch these back to back, it never feels like Superman ever actually wanted to be Superman until he's resurrected and goes to do it. Like, they do a good job of having his de- his Earth father, uh, John. I think Jonathan Kent, oh, or Pa Kent, and then his Kryptonian dad, like basically giving their spiel of what he needs to do, and him rising to the occasion after dying. But in the other two movies, it felt like he was only doing those things because his dad told him to, and like it seems like he actually chose to do it this time. So, uh, okay, so I have a couple things. You just watched Man of Steel. I wanted to ask: Is the monologue about uh, you'll give them an ideal to strive towards. Is that in Man of Steel? Because I it, think so. There's like the there. It is hard to remember exactly, but there's an entire scene where Clark goes and finds the Kryptonian ship, and his like I don't know, hologram dad walks him around, and there's just a lot of voiceover of being like, "You need to do this. You need to do this." And I think like there was something in there about you you being like basically the ideal or the, the the i don't know how to say it, like the human form perfected or whatever like the ideal right. that everyone should strive to so i'm pretty sure that was in there okay because i it's been forever since i've seen man of steel right. and it it's one of i i'm very passionate about movie trailers as I'm, I'm sure i've discussed and the man of steel teaser trailer is one of my favorite movie trailers of all time and there were two versions of it, and it was the same voiceover. It was the same audio, or it was the same uh, monologue, but one was delivered by um, Kevin Costner, and one was delivered by Russell Crowe. And it was that speech. It was the, you will give the people an ideal to strive towards, and uh, in time they'll join you in the sun. 
And I don't remember that being in Man of Steel, but it's possible I just missed it. But it is in this. So maybe they use some variation. Definitely um, Kevin Costner didn't say that because his character was like, that's something that Zor-El would have said, um, mm-hmm. who I guess was played by Russell Crowe. I never really put that. I guess I didn't pay yeah. attention to that. Um, <laughs> but Kevin Costner definitely didn't say it. That's actually one of my biggest problems with Man of Steel is their interpretation of Clark's Earth father, um, Jonathan Kent. Uh, but yeah, I, I if, if Zorel did not say that, he said something very similar. Yeah, because as he's walking through the ship in this, looking at all the different suits and things, that, that that's part of the voiceover of all of, you know, it's it's kind of jumbled up. It's in the wrong order, but that's that's what's being said. Uh, how did you, what did you think about the black suit? I didn't mind it because it's a callback to, Snyder does a lot of callbacks, actually, that I've, I've come to realize after diving more into the comics. So the ba- the black suit is what he dons after he's resurrected when Doomsday kills him in the comics in the 90s. Okay. So it makes sense to me as to why they would do it. Um, I personally don't like the black suit that much, and Superman actually dons the black suit again in 2011 because, like I said, they rebooted the entire universe, but Clark Kent from like the pre 2000 universe somehow got transported to this new universe, but stays undercover because he doesn't want to ruin this or Superman. So it's just like basically him as a dad with Lois Lane, like raising their kid, but he goes in black suit Superman to stay incognito. Uh, so I, I don't, I don't hate it. It's not my favorite suit though. Yeah. I don't like it. I think I, I don't like the dark, filter like that like the the dark lens that this is portrayed through not necessarily moralistically but just literally like color wise i don't like the dark palette it makes it hard to see in places and i was really looking forward to like superman coming back with the the bright uh red and blue and i I mean god knows it's snyder it never would have been bright but just (laughs) just the red and blue and when he he shows up in that all black suit i was like oh man (laughs) yeah i i am a bigger fan of the classic costume too and it's interesting because you see two nightmare versions in this movie you see the one where clearly lois had just died and dark side comes to do whatever and clark is or superman is in the black suit at that time but then in the actual nightmare future he's in his blue and red suit again which is just a weird choice like why did he change that <laughs> All right, well, should I guess we're we're at 50 minutes. Should we talk about the nightmare scene? Yeah, let's get into that because I think you have much stronger opinions on this than <laughs> I do, and I have much stronger opinions on where Zack Snyder was actually taking us in the nightmare universe. Okay. So this this is essentially the five minutes of like new material that he shot to make this four-hour movie. This is the only thing... As far as from what I read, this is the only part of this movie that had not already been shot and was just kind of re-edited. I, I think you're right. I watched like a 10-minute like making of documentary, and this looked to be like the only thing that they reshot. It, it was like one of the nightmare scenes, which must have been this one. So this, well, one of the post credit scenes, the other one had Martian Manhunter, which we haven't talked about yet either. But yeah. Martian Manhunter's in this movie for about six minutes. Um so the, the one of the post credit scenes is basically a, a five or six minute flash forward to the nightmare timeline where Superman is evil and Batman is in charge of like a team of heroes and villain like rebels who are trying to either bring him down or reset the timeline. 
And so we're introduced to an even older man, Batman, and then an older Barry Allen. Do you know how far in the future this is actually supposed to take? I read like interviews from Snyder and I was like, well, it's supposed to be like two to three years in the future from Justice League. Oh boy. Okay. (laughs) So not that much older man, Batman, but we're we're introduced to Barry Allen in his, uh, I think his like metal time travel suit. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, Deathstroke, who also had a post-credit scene. <laughs> um, Deathstroke looks much older. <laughs> yeah, that, that one. That's why. That's kind of the whole reason I was saying much older because I was yeah. assuming this was like a decade. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then Mira from Aquaman and the Joker. That is their five-man or no cyborg too. So that's that's their six-man team to try and set set right the timeline. Yeah, so do you want the... I don't know if you looked into this. Do you want the context? Because Snyder's basically said where what he was doing with all of this. Yeah, go for it. So in his version, and maybe you're right, maybe he was doing two more Justice League movies and he just was giving the, the elevator pitch. But basically what would happen is Apocalypse... Uh, Darkseid comes to Earth and like... And you know how in this one we saw that the anti-life equation is actually on Earth? Um I don't know if you know much about DC Comics, but that is basically Darkseid's holy grail. That's what he is doing everything for is he wants the anti-life equation because it'll somehow help him control the universe. Um, And so he's like going planet to planet trying to find it. So it turns out it's on Earth for whatever reason. And Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor figures it out. uh, And when Darkseid comes, he basically gives Darkseid the anti-life equation. uh, And then Darkseid uses that to brainwash Superman upon Lois when he's at his weakest, when Lois dies. And that's why Superman turns evil. And then like, I guess Lois's death is as a result of Batman in some way or another, like his failures. And then, so he's now their team trying to go back in time to have Bruce actually prevent the death of Lois. Okay. I mean, it's a lot. Oh, man. Yeah. So, the the big surprise in this was the Joker. I, I yes. don't think. I mean, it was kind of telegraphed in the the weeks leading up to it, but I don't think anybody actually like from from all the crazy nerds begging for the Snyder cut. I don't think anyone ever expected Jared Leto's Joker to be in this. Dude, I did. I did not see any of the stuff saying he was in it. So I was like, oh my <laughs> gosh, really? I was blown away. I, now, I say this as somebody who hates Suicide Squad and thinks that Jared Leto is the probably the worst part of that movie, and that's a movie plagued by bad choices. <laughs> but if this Joker had been in that movie, I may have enjoyed it. Like, this is Jared Leto playing the Joker, but it, it's a completely different character. This is not the, the version of that that we saw in the Justice League, or in, in Suicide Squad, I'm sorry. Yeah, I will say I do. I do not care for Jared Leto's Joker in Suicide Squad like you, but I think I think Suicide Squad is just dumb enough where I'm like, whatever, it's a dumb fun. <laughs> like, I think it's so dumb. It's kind of a fun movie to watch. But that Joker, that is by far the worst part of it. Like, he's so dumb. Yeah, he he wasn't he in this. He wasn't, you know, covered in tattoos. And right. It didn't have like silver teeth, like a weirdo. Yeah. He, he just was playing something much closer to like a Heath Ledger Joker. Christian, what would have gotten a bigger pop from you of being like, Oh my God, I can't believe they did that. Jared Leto's Joker or Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. Oh. <laughs> I'd have, I'd have set my TV on fire. outright. 
you know, you know, Bruce, <laughs> it's not funny, and I'm tired of it acting like it is. You brought me onto this team to make fun of me. <laughs> oh God, I hate that movie so much. But you were uh, you were a big fan of this scene, though, right? Of what? Of um, of the night this nightmare scene with oh. the Joker. Yes, I was a huge fan of this. I saw somebody had tweeted that this is the best Batman Joker interaction we've ever had on on screen, and I don't think I would necessarily go that far. I've seen The Dark Knight, but the uh, the conversation that the two of them have in this was awesome. It was great. You know, Joker's sitting there going like, "You need me, and so I can say whatever I want," kind of with impunity. And yeah. so he's just basically mocking Batman for having dead parents and a dead adopted son, and and Batman's like, I, you know, I'm going to kill you. I'm absolutely going to kill you when this is over. And I was just super into it. Yeah, I, I like. I mean, I think the nightmare scenes are really out of place in Batman versus Superman. Yes, uh, but I think they work here more so because you have the mother boxes and stuff. And the Batman versus Superman scene totally felt like it's something that could have been like at the end of this or you know like it didn't need to happen during batman versus superman because it made no sense for barry allen to come back to that exact point in time to save lois when clark like bruce didn't know who lois was at that point yeah he's like oh i overshot well that's it it seemed like they were trying to do like the marvel post-credit scene like telegraphing the next movie but they were like shoehorning it into the middle yeah like a weird choice yeah it's just very clunky like here's this preview for something coming in uh, apparently like over a decade (laughs) so that's why i worked here it was at the end (laughs) exactly yeah i was very into it if this had been like a dream sequence an hour in i'd have it have felt very out of place and i would not have enjoyed it at all yeah that would have been too much i thought they were going i thought they were going to drop it in when cyborg had the flash forwards to the future mm-hmm. and i was like oh no don't put this like right before you resurrect <laughs> superman like we're tired of being somber now we have to deal with him being like evil superman again which i i feel like movies overdo or media overdoes a lot at this yes. point where i'm kind of tired of that storyline like i maybe that's just because i played a lot of injustice and there's like <laughs> justice league animated stories about it and now it's like this and tv i don't know i think it's like it when it was originally done it was a novel concept but now it's just like uh, let's go in a different (laughs) direction guys like this has been done so yeah i mean this this was a five minute sequence there's really not much to say about other than i i just really enjoyed it 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 didn't feel completely out of place the way that the other ham-fisted ones did but the only other thing i think i really wanted to ask you was how do you feel that they justified the fact that Darkseid lost these boxes and somehow forgot where Earth was for a millennium? I saw your notes on that, Christian, and the only thing I can think of is that the mother boxes are not like I in my and I don't know enough about the Darkseid and Apocalypse history. My feeling though is like he just has like tons of mother boxes. And that's okay. just what he does to planets to like he goes there and that's what he does to convert them because I don't think he like pulls them apart every time once he does it to a planet. Like maybe he does, but I, I'm not sure. My feeling on that is 
he has a lot of them or they're easy enough to recreate that he didn't care. And like step and the big thing that I think he cares about earth is more so that they made it the anti-life equation and not the mother boxes where like Steppenwolf just happened to chance upon this world that dark side had been beaten back from. Um, okay. That's my guess, but I'm not sure. I okay. I'd buy that. The, the, this is like a, a, a rare resource, but not necessarily like an, like an un- irreplaceable one because I, I was just like he really got beat up so bad and he's like where did i put those mother boxes yeah <laughs> like i i would even buy if they were like you know he he retreated in a hurry and used some kind of teleportation and now he can't figure out like where he came from but right. it was just it, yeah it was just like oh a thousand years passed and i forgot where i left them <laughs> yeah my guess my guess is basically it's something that like, he's like, yeah, we lost that planet. I'm not going back there. That was like the site of one of my worst defeats. <laughs> but uh, he, I, I don't know for sure. Seem super strong in that beginning fight. I don't know if, if he's like bulked up in the last thousand years and, and now yeah. he's a, and that, that kind of cut the stakes too is like, he doesn't seem like a real threat. If CGI uh, bulked up Ares could just kind of plant a, an ax in his chest and he's like, all right, I'm out. So that's that's that is a curious point, Christian, and I am wondering because Darkseid has this weird history where his biggest power is he can he can I don't know what the right word, but um, channel I think it's called like the Omega Force or something that basically just Im- can immediately kill people, and he does that with I beams. He has a bunch of ver- different variation of I beams that you can't tell which one is what, but one of them is just like instant death. Um, but he wasn't using that in that battle. So that might not be something he obtained until later. And he is now much more of a bigger threat, but I don't know for sure. All right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Again, I'd buy that. It's, it's just strange to see like, Oh, Aries and Zeus basically just beat him down. Wonder woman saying like, let me tell you the history of this, our greatest enemy. And then she's like, and then we kicked the crap out of him and he, he ran away and it's like, all right, well then what are we worried about? Because you guys in, were able to do this a thousand years ago. We've got I, nukes now. I mean, you're right. In the comics, like Darkseid's a force. Um, so it, it, it will be interesting to see him come out and actually, well, we'll never see it. But if he were to come <laughs> out, uh, because he is, he's, he's what they call like one of the new gods. Uh, and it's like him fighting with people and, and all that. So like, he's like a God level being with a power that can just like annihilate people without any issue because like once he shoots the beams they basically just track you wherever you go so they're hard to (laughs) dodge um but yeah i i actually i'm curious what you thought i i was a big fan of them putting apocalypse in that battle over steppenwolf i think it made a lot more sense yeah in in the history battle steppenwolf just looked a lot better in this too like he had he, he didn't look like just a dude with like a horned viking helmet on DC, one of DC's biggest problems is they haven't really had a great villain. Um, some people really like Zod. I didn't care for him. Step, but Steppenwolf was much a much better villain than his theatrical cut counterpart. Yeah. And again, because you got to explore his motivations. In the theatrical cut, it was like, you've been sent here to do this job. It's it's like an evil fetch quest. And in this, it's like, oh, you know, I, I was a traitor and now I'm atoning for like betraying Darkseid and I have to, whatever, seize a thousand planets and I just happen to find these things and this is my chance to get back into his good graces like i 
I don't necessarily like a villain I can sympathize with, but I definitely want one I can understand. Yeah, he he was a much a much, had a much stronger portrayal in this one, I thought, and his design was way cooler. The only thing that I'm not sure if I liked more or less was his voice. I thought he's a little bit harder to understand in this one, but he sounded more menacing. Right. His design in theatrical was so dumb when I like looked at him side yeah. by side. Uh, I think the only other thing I wanted to uh, just just kind of mull over is essentially like how we got to this point. Oh yeah, because I don't know the history of this at all. I, I I just like it sounded like fans pushed this. Yeah, essentially, like it came out not long after the Whedon version of this that there existed somewhere in the world a, a good version that Zack Snyder had put out. And, I mean, God knows toxic fandom is a problem in basically every community. Uh, but Star nice. Wars and DC kind of more than anything, apparently. Yeah, weirdly, you would think it was Marvel, but Marvel, in comparison to the Snyder Cut fandom, has been relatively tame. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they're out there, but most for the most part, the Marvel people are just kind of along for the ride. Uh, it's definitely like, more mainstream. Yeah, but these these people were just kind of rabid at like at every turn, just demanding this is we want the Snyder cut, we want the Snyder cut, and eventually Warner Brothers was just kind of like, oh my god, fine, here it is. And, and so I do think this version is better for sure. It's it's better by leaps and bounds, uh, and I think it's good that it got to see the light of day, and you know we were able to actually see like the best version of this but i just i worry about rewarding the most toxic fans in a community <laughs> because yeah. like even even now like warner brothers had a couple tweets last week about you know stop asian hate with everything that's going on and and all of the comments underneath those tweets were like restore the snyder verse let him make the rest of his movies and i'm like guys sh- shut up yeah i i do have two points on this one so one is I agree. I think it's cool. It was made. I'm curious. Like, I don't think WB did this out of the goodness of their hearts. They were releasing HBO max and I think they needed an exclusive. And from some, some either post or something I saw and I, I couldn't verify it. Like the Snyder cut was watched more than what, like one division, <laughs> um, uh, whatever the Falcon and the winter soldier and, um, the Mandalorian was like combined. So if that's true, like, that is a huge viewing party. And granted, it costs them $70 million. But if you're getting insane press and insane views for your new service for $70 million, like, I guess I have no concept of what a TV show costs. But for like <laughs> a, for a movie you already produced and made your money back on, like, it seems like a relatively low investment to basically re-release the same movie that more people are going to watch. Yeah. And that's so, kind of why I'm like, just let Zack Snyder make his four-hour movies and just release them on HBO. Like, they don't have yeah. to be theatrical releases. Um, and then on the Toxic Fandom, I agree. They are ridiculous. I know that people were review-bombing Kong vs. Godzilla and just being like, we're going to review-bomb all of WB movies until they do the Snyderverse. Like, they're, like, holding them hostage. Yeah. <laughs> like, Rotten Tomatoes or something. Like, dude, come on. That's just pathetic at that point yeah, i i am like i said i'm of two minds on it i'm i'm happy i got to watch this i never thought i would say that in a million years so yeah i got to watch a four-hour justice league that was essentially black and white but uh yeah i mean there's definitely a part of me that's just impulsively like we don't negotiate with terrorists so 
I will say this is probably the I like 300. This is the first Zack Snyder movie in a while that I've could be like, yeah, I liked that. Yeah, I like Batman versus Superman. I was like, it was okay. Like I liked parts of it. I didn't like parts of it. And I didn't like Man of Steel. Like this one I was like, this was a like, I enjoyed this. Like this is definitely, I think a movie for fans, um, which is cool because I, I've learned more about that. Like I got some of the stuff, like I, I really like this one, but I, I, that hasn't been the case in a while. Like Watchmen was, I don't care what people say. Watchmen is not good. It's not a good rendition. I was just waiting for you to finish. I was just about to say, if we ever feel like really punishing ourselves, we can try to do Watchmen. (laughs) Dude, I really like the Watchmen graphic novel. And Zack Snyder's take on, like, rendition is worse. Like, the HBO series is not remaking it, but, like, it's more in the spirit of Alan Moore's comic than Snyder's movie was. And even uh, recently, DC released the Doomsday Clock, which was basically a sequel to the Watchmen where they entered the DC universe. And that felt like a more faithful take on being a completely different story that has Superman and Batman in it than than Snyder's movie. Like that movie was so bad. Snyder cut Watchmen, though. Oh, God, don't starting it. It's going to be six and a half hours. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's I. I did want to say I. I found it funny that Warner Brothers uh, is kind of now trying to preempt this precedent that they've set by saying like we are not because uh, somebody else start tried to start like release the uh, whoever it is airs cut of Suicide Squad because he tried saying like oh well my movie was cut to hell too uh, my version was better and so they're like we are not going to be releasing any other directorial cuts. I mean, yeah, I think it was, like I said, I don't know if there's probably some goodwill. I think it was a business decision on their part. I don't see them doing this for anything else just because, like, no one's clamoring for the Suicide Squad. Like, even I feel like I'm a defender of that movie and I'm not even a strong defender. I'm like, yeah, it's dumb, but I thought it was fun. Like, no one wants that. I will say I've watched the Red Band trailer for James Gunn's Suicide Squad probably 30 times it looks incredible i haven't seen it i i need to watch it i just saw king sharks in it or something yep sylvester stallone is playing king shark yes that's crazy it's <laughs> dc's in such a weird position man because right now the only people they have like reprising roles are margot robbie who you know she's a big name star but she's not superman or batman they have theoretically jason momoa i don't know if he's locked out for anything they have ezra miller and they have gal gadot like that's it and those are all like kind of side characters <laughs> it's uh, like looking at i mean and i hate i mean i don't hate it but i keep comparing them and i don't like to but marvel is like the exact opposite of them they basically took a bunch of characters that most mainstream people did not know who they were or what their personalities were so like they could craft those characters in a way uh that people would like like i don't know if iron man prior to robert downey jr playing him was acts like he does in the comics because i'd never really read iron man and like the same with thor and captain america like they're basically working with blank slates for all intents purposes of anyone who wasn't like big Marvel fans. Whereas everyone has some preconceived notion of what Batman and Superman are like. Yeah. And I I think that's a harder task because you, you are dealing with that. Like you can't create the character um, 
unless you kind of follow certain guidelines. I agree. Which I, yeah. I kind of knew that Marvel was on easy street. They could kind of do no wrong when they were able to make a like multi-million dollar blockbuster about a talking raccoon and a tree in space. Like wa- watching that preview and, and seeing those characters and going, yeah, man, I want to watch this movie. <laughs> Well, and that's the thing is, it's crazy is Marvel's biggest, when Iron Man was released, Marvel's biggest heroes were X-Men and Spider-Man. Like, those were the two moneymakers. Those are the ones they harvested their movie rights out for. Um, So they've basically turned all their other stable into big name heroes, finally, who are, you know, really well known. And X-Men have kind of faded to the background. Like, they don't have the luster they once did. Like, I still really like the X-Men, but they're not, like, no one, I don't think they're, they're not what they were in 2000 when X-1 yeah. originally came out. And Spider-Man is still popular as, you know, anything, but well, and, and they I sort mean, of got him back. Even Yeah, even so, though, I just looked up the release date for Civil War, and they didn't add Spider-Man to the MCU until eight years after it had started. So Right, they, and they that was a huge... Empire without him. I mean, that was a huge thing when they got him too. like they 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 could have done the entire thing without Spider-Man. I think he's a great ad. But I mean, how many people were reading Doctor Strange comics in the general population? Like no one was. All right, guys, thanks for listening to our in-depth talk on uh, the Snyder Cut of the Justice League. Christian and I were, uh, well, let's do this. Christian, were you a, would you recommend our audience check this out? Oh, I don't know. Probably, but, you know, break it up. I I would never recommend you sit down and watch a four-hour movie straight through. This has chapter headings. It'll be very easy to, to find a time to, like, go take a nap or cook a meal. Yeah, I'm with you on this one. I mean, if anyone who listens to this podcast knows, my biggest deterrent on recommending a movie is always like, this is over two hours. <laughs> like, it's a, it's, you have to really win me over after that to recommend it. But I like this one enough that I would, like you said, treat it like a TV show and watch it in whatever the 20, 30 minute increments they break it up in because it's, it's a lot easier to digest that way than sitting around for, um, four straight hours and i i do i do want to give a real quick shout out for the rotten tomatoes right now because this movie's the best performing of any of the snyder movies <laughs> right now the critics have this at 72 percent, and an audience has this at 95 percent, which Ooh. i think is insane personally i don't think it's a 95 percent movie like i enjoy it but i don't think it's that high uh what do you think yeah definitely not a 90 90 anything this this is like low 70s i think but it's i i think i'm looking at it so favorably just because of what it used to be. Yeah. I, 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 (laughs) well, that's the thing is like, I don't, I don't know if I didn't just binge watch all the Snyder movies and the justice league theatrical cut before I watched this, if I would come away being like as glowing about it, I still think I would have liked it, but yeah, I'm not sure. I would definitely put it in like the seventies too. It's not like a 95 for me. Thanks for listening, guys. If you'd like to contact us, we are at Gambots Network on Twitter, or you can email us at gambots.blog at gmail.com. Also, we have a website now. If you want to check that out, that's gambotsnetwork.com. And finally, if you're listening to somewhere where you can rate and subscribe, we'd appreciate it as that does help with marketing. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Thank you.
Thank you.